0: The very first step is deriving and understanding the channels that you want to be able to sell to. Always try to get inspiration, but also always try to understand the strategy behind influencer partnership pieces that I see out there that aren't necessarily mine. There's no secret formula to selecting those ambassadors or or brand advocates that are longer term, but as a brand, you definitely need to work with people that actually use your product or service or that actually appreciate it. We as consumers can like sniff it out immediately if it feels fake.
1: Welcome to Top of Mind, a show where we speak with top marketers, creators, and leaders who are shaping the culture around us. I'm Stuart Hillhouse, and I believe that through great marketing, you can earn the privilege of occupying a tiny sliver of your customer's already overflowing brain. Join me today as we learn what it takes to become Top of Mind. As social media continues to mature, we're going to see a drastic change in the role these platforms play in our lives. Take, for example, the ability to purchase products directly through your favorite app without even needing to go to the website of the company you're buying from. Brands that understand how to leverage this opportunity are going to ride a very powerful wave, but those who don't might find themselves underwater. My guest today is going to help us to understand the current state of social media and influencer marketing and where the opportunities currently are to grow. By day, she's the head of social media marketing and influencers at Stitch Fix. And by night, she's helping to bring sustainable materials to the textile and faux fur through her outerwear brand, Petit Poussin. Join me today. I've got Angélique Vendette talking to me. Hey Angélique, how are you doing?
0: Hi, Stuart. I'm good. Thanks for having me on.
1: It's it's such an interesting topic because we're all, I mean, speaking for myself, a, a consumer of social media. I'll go on it dozens of times a day, and I, I do go through detoxes where I have to delete the apps like Instagram off my phone <laughs> so that I can actually focus for a week. So there's, there's tons of consumption happening, obviously. But a lot of behind the scenes actually on that creation side is is where there's really a lot of a lot to be learned from a marketing standpoint and from a kind of business development standpoint. So why don't you try to ex- give us a little insight on what what your day-to-day work looks like as the head of social media and influencers?
0: There's so much going on in the world right now. And being on social is just staying up at the forefront and being able to help the brand create conversation with our audiences in the various social platforms that there are. So from a social standpoint, my day-to-day looks like, you know, getting up early, understanding what's going on that day, understanding what my calendar uh, of content looked like, and then being able to see, does it still make sense to have those conversations with our audiences? If so, then we go about, you know, creating the content, making sure that both the creative and the copy are in line with what we want to communicate with our audiences. And then putting that out putting that out in the market, being able to, to have two-way dialogue with them. So that's on the social standpoint. And then from influencers, again, it's day-to-day management of what type of messaging is going out to other audiences aside from ours that are still being able to connect back to our brand in a larger way. So it's like a larger ecosystem when you look at it uh, holistically.
1: Has Have you always been set up in a way that you review the content that's about to go out before uh, it goes live? Because in a lot of cases, that content and the creative has been a long time in the making and it's a matter of hitting yeah. publish. But with the with that uh, being said, you need to make sure that it's still contextually relevant to like what the world looks like on the internet that day, right? You don't want to come off as tone deaf.
0: Yeah, no, not at all. So it, it is definitely Definitely top of mind right now during COVID and during, you know, the unrest that the country's seeing, you know, especially this summer, it's not something that you would definitely go in and check every day in and day out. You know, I've worked on campaigns that sometimes the content and the copy have been like signed and done six months ahead of time. And then it comes to launch date or the week before and you just review it and then it's scheduled and ready to go. But I think right now in the current climate and just with everything that's been going on since March, it is much more of a day-to-day lens and zoom in to see and understand if it's still relevant, if it's still sensitive to the current climate, and if it makes sense to go out from a brand's perspective. So it definitely has shifted the way that we're doing social media marketing. I would say that it's much more day-to-day now. It's much more live and real. And in those conversations with our audiences so there's a lot more community management. There's a lot more two-way dialogue than there was ever before.
1: I think that's going to be kind of the the, the baseline from here on out. Is you need to have that conversation. People kind of expect it. Like that's what makes it a unique channel and compared to just yeah. e- email blasting them.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's it's a place where you know people are on their phones day in and day out. Mobile is such is a place where, you know, they're, they're interacting with us on social, they're in their beds at the end of the night, they're starting off in the morning, tapping in through social. It's an integral part of it. And so if you're not part of it with them from a brand's perspective, you're actually missing thing out on opportunities and so if they're asking you questions if they're following up from a customer service or customer experience standpoint they expect that direct two-way conversation and brands that aren't able to you know live up to that or or be able to hop in and have that two-way dialogue are going to be missing out because the expectations are definitely there it's a quick turn type of platform and it's a platform where there's just great opportunities to speak one-on-one with your audiences almost at mass
1: so the social side of your work is really about the brand messaging and putting out the campaigns and the topics that that you want to be known for but then the the other side of it now is you have uh, a network of of influence marketing that you now have to coordinate as well can you can you explain what a relationship between a brand and an influencer. And maybe if you want to take a, a moment to also define what you what you see as a as an as an influencer, is if that's even the title that you like to to call the people you work with.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, of course. I love starting here because you can't really speak to overall social media marketing strategy without including your influencer marketing approach. The amplification stream, that's definitely most native to those channels. I think it's fine to, to reference them as influencers right now, but you'll see as I go through this that I do, you know, see it almost as a three-pronged approach working with them. And sometimes they'll lean more closely into celebrity versus content creation or influencer. Okay. Yeah. So I think in order to explain the kind of relationships a brand can have with an influencer, we actually need to first and foremost debunk the misconception that influencers are only used in a one and done transactional capacity. So, I'm air quoting now and it's like to sell <laughs> a brand's product on their channel. <laughs> That's definitely the way that, you know, us as consumers often see it. We think it's one and done, we think that it's not genuine, but of course, there's more to that relationship than just kind of like put it on your page and talk about me and here's money. So, that first kind of relationship is the one that people think about the most in influencer marketing. It's predominant, it's transactional. It's not only used to sell the product at a high volume, but also, you know, used to expand a brand's reach and to build like notoriety and even make a splashy launch in market when partnering with high influential personas or celebrities. So we'd equate to that in marketing something along the lines of a traditional endorsement deal. And in all honesty, Stu, that type of relationship gets a bad rep. As a marketer, I'd also argue that it's a short-term strategy that in the long-term will cost you more. So a good example of that kind of first type of relationship are things like the skinny tea or even the hair growth gummy bear influencer ads that were everywhere on Instagram and Facebook a few years ago. So that's the first type of relationship a brand can have with an influencer. Now... There's two other main types of relationships a brand can have with an influencer, and that's actually focused on brand building and creating longer-term advocacy for your audience and theirs. The first would be building long-term brand ambassadors or advocates, as I like to call them, for your brand. These types of relationships sometimes entail year-long or multi-year contracts where influencers consistently and naturally weave in your brand as part of the regularly scheduled content calendar. Not only does your brand's audience become familiar with this group of ambassadors, but there's also been consumer studies and reports that show that us as consumers, you know, you and I, we trust endorsement deals to be much more genuine if it's consistently messaged over a longer period of time. So it's definitely a case of slow and steady wins the long-term race here with that type of relationship.
1: Yeah, that's super interesting to, to kind of take a look at endorsement if it's just a one-time deal, feels very transactional. Whereas if that person is consistently talking about a product that they use and and demonstrating how they do it in their in their day-to-day, that's just so much more powerful.
0: Yeah, exactly. And again, there's no secret formula to selecting those ambassadors or, or brand advocates that are longer term. But as a brand, you definitely need to work with people that actually use your product or service or that actually appreciate it because... As you know, we we as consumers can like sniff it out immediately if it feels fake.
1: Yeah, absolutely. People are getting really smart about it. If it's if it's, it's exactly. kind of cringy or whatever, like it's gonna backfire. It's gonna be a, a big failure, I think.
0: Mm -hmm, Exactly. And as a marketer, you know, you can always gut check with your influencer partners, like, hey, is this a product you'd organically use in your day to day? Or even check in with them and see if this type of product or service is aligned with their audience's interests or their own interests, for that matter. Mm -hmm. So it's just a question of checking in. And, you know, at the end of the day, we're all people. And I think, you know, finding that genuine connection or that genuine interest, like, should be at the forefront of everything that you're doing.
1: How do you go about designing an influencer campaign? Do you, do you start with the the person, the, the content creator or the celebrity or whoever you're going to work with? Do you, do you handpick them and then build a campaign around it? Or do you understand what the messaging is first and then you go and find the people to fulfill those roles? How do you design that?
0: Yeah, so I definitely design the campaign first. So what are my objectives, my goals, my OKRs? And that will help determine like how I start to build my influencer marketing campaign. If for instance, I'm looking to expand reach, then you know, some sort of relationship where we build like a mini long-term like 3-month plan might make more sense. But if my OKRs are tied to being able to act quickly on a product launch, create imagery or video assets or, you know, boomerang assets that feel native to the platforms and that are part of, you know, humanizing the product or service. I might work with influencers and in more so of a content creation capacity. So it really depends on what my objectives are. I think as you're leaning in to go, it will be part of a larger, like what, are your, what is your larger social strategy and goals here? If you need to be able to activate on something that's trending and you don't have the capacity in-house to, you know, <laughs> roll on a hashtag challenge or, you know, anything like that, but you want to participate in the conversation online, working with influencers might be your best bet here from a content creation standpoint. If On the other hand, you've launched a product, you want to expand your reach, you want to be able to get notoriety through their channels and build brand awareness through their channels with their audience that isn't necessarily following you. That might be your best bet in in order to get more sales. So it really depends on what your, your overarching needs are.
1: And you mentioned there, which was which is new to me in kind of understanding what a role an influencer can have, but there's the reach that they can give you by you using, like kind of renting their audience from them for a post or a season or whatever, <laughs> however you do it. But they, they have yeah. they've earned trust with their audience and they probably have a, a decent size. But then there's also that content side that you just started mentioning where they're actually acting as like your media team that can put together photo shoots for the way faster and way cheaper than you would ever be able to do. And it's way more natural because you're not hiring models and you're not using studio lighting. It's just like real people taking pictures with their iPhones. And that does that, do, do those images way different than kind of like a very manicured photo shoot?
0: Well, they're definitely native to platforms, right? And they feel social first and us as, you know, Consumers were able to see that. We're able to see whether it was, you know, shot in studio with perfect lighting and it's been photoshopped versus someone hopping on their phone and creating a quick TikTok for you or editing it really quickly within native app features, but that you know has had to be filmed live. It's, a, it's an interesting approach and relationship to influencer marketing, and it's never rang more true now. So especially in like COVID-19, where studios are closed, and where we're all working from home, like you mentioned, brands can partner with influencers for content creation. And that's a way for them to be able to, again, heading back to what we were talking about earlier, you know, lean into that two-way dialogue, lean into day-to-day conversations that have been popping up, you know, left, right, and center. And you're able to to be able to to converse with your audience, not only via their content and their channels, but then also have it on yours. Mm-hmm. So it's an interesting approach that, that does definitely feel current and quick turn.
1: For sure. When you're first approaching a influencer to work on a campaign together, but you've never worked together before. What are some questions that you've found to really help you to, to unearth whether this is someone you want to be doing business with or that their channel aligns with the the, the, the campaign you're trying to put together?
0: Yeah, I think even before engaging with them, there's a bit of homework <laughs> to be done on the okay. Brand side. Okay, yeah, let's hear about that. You know, <laughs> so like just understanding, like when you go to their channels and you see uh, and understand, you know, what type of audience they have and what type of content they put out and what their brand platform is all about. The homework lies in kind of working with some of your software and tools to be able to understand their actual engagement rates, you know, the type of resonance that it has with their audience, if, if it's positive or negative or neutral sentiment. So, so of, it's just,
1: Are there any specific tools that you like to use?
0: You know, there's there's a bunch out there and not necessarily... Like pinpoint one or the other, but there's there's some great just listening tools that you can use, whether it's like Sprout Social or Sprinkler or even Social First Studio. So yeah, there's there's a bunch of tools that are available to brands and then even smaller brands to be able to see what's actual genuine, what's genuine engagement on an influencer's page.
1: Mm-hmm. And so, what is to you the the, the ideal amount of genuine? Engagement. Maybe define what you look for in engagement. Like what what activity does that even mean?
0: Yeah. So you know, there's been a lot of controversy in influencer marketing over the last few years, where it's been easy for influencers to kind of game the system, in the sense that you know, being able to buy following, being able to buy comments, being able to join what you would call an engagement pod, where you know there's a group of influencers that are DMing each other and messaging each other. And as soon as their post goes up, they almost like bots have comments jump in on behalf of them. So as a marketer, I think it's important to be able to go in and to understand where is it genuine versus where is it fake? Because there has been influencer fraud and it's been growing in the last few years. So being able to do your homework as a marketer and as a brand and understand, okay, where is it like net new engagement? Do these comments all say, wow, love this, great outfit, even if it's like a food post. (laughs) So it's just being able to decipher where it's bots and where it's real. I don't want to say that all influencers or content creators leverage these types of tactics on their channel, but because brands have been pouring more money or dedicating more of their social media budget to influencer marketing. It's definitely something that we've seen. So it's just from a brand's perspective, something to be cognizant about.
1: Okay. So you do your homework, you make sure that they're legit. How do you yeah. reach out to an influencer?
0: Yeah. You know, it, It depends from which campaign you're reaching out. Sometimes you'll be working directly within that platform and send them a direct message or in mail or inbox or DM, depending if that's the preferred route. Sometimes with their link in bio, they'll showcase if they have an agent and then go through that agency, whether it's a PR agency or talent representation. And then sometimes, you know, just like a cold call style email where it's like, Hey, we love your content. We love what you've been doing. We'd love to partner with you. So almost an introductory type email to understand if a, there's um, alignment with your brand, but B, if it's, it's the right time to to engage in a working capacity with them.
1: Okay. Interesting. And then, how does it typically work? Do you do you have to pitch them on an idea for a campaign or are they expected to kind of provide some some input?
0: So depending again on what those those objectives and like OKRs are. Again, if, if your objective was, hey, you know, studios are closed and I need content creation, and I need them to, you know, create content at home and act like my models for this campaign, that'll be completely different than if you're looking to expand your reach on their channels, what you would do realistically is explain the goals that you're trying to achieve by partnering with them. And then you could keep it open. If it's general brand awareness, I definitely always prefer to go the route of longer-term relationship building and look at them as potential longer-term brand ambassadors. So I would want their their input. I would want to say hey, I'm trying to showcase this new product or I'm trying to help audiences understand the value prop or value add that my service has. How do you think your audience would resonate with this? What type of messaging do you think would make sense for you and your audience that would feel genuine and real? Or is there a moment that you're going through in your life right now where you feel like this service or product could naturally fit in or weave in if so, we'd love to include that as part of your already planned content calendar. What would that look like? So there are various approaches. There are brands that you know send out concrete briefs that are pre-written and are almost like copy paste. And you can you can look at examples of like recently in the luxury space, like Dior, when they've launched the new handbag. It's it's almost as though all the influencers launch at the same time with the same pose, showcasing the handbag in the same way. So you can tell, you know, from a brand marketing perspective that those briefs went in with like definite <laughs> bullet points on what needs to get done and captured. And then they were paid a one and done type deal and fee. There's other brands, on the other hand, that that will work and have the content streamed in more natively. So it's not necessarily timed at the time of a product launch or, you know, something new coming out, it'll just be general overall brand awareness where content on the influencer pages are pulsed out at a regular cadence that makes sense not only for their feeds, but also for the brand's feed. So yeah, it's just interesting to see. And from as a marketer, who's also always on social media, I almost always go in and, and think back, okay, I see this piece of content how was it kicked off? It must have been kicked off this way based on five other people doing it the same, or it must have been kicked off in this way or really well done because this is new and I haven't seen it yet. So always try to get inspiration from it, but also always try to understand the strategy behind influencer partnership pieces that I see out there that aren't necessarily mine. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's super interesting too, because it's no longer or I mean, people are getting creative with it because you—the you, way you described it—is very open-ended. It can—it's—it's it's like any professional relationship. Like you can—you can put it in—in in writing that this is the only way we're going to work, or it can be loosey-goosey and kind of evolve over time. But even the way in which they promote other products in partnership, like I've been seeing, yeah. some YouTube channels where the it's like a company will sponsor a Tesla giveaway or something. But it's not mm-hmm. even like it's brought up as a, a sponsored thing. It was like it's more along the lines of this brand helped this activity happen, even though it's not yeah. related to the <laughs> to the product at all. And I know it's different than kind of the brand awareness we were going with, but that reach and it's 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 it just feels native to the platform. It's not like a big glaring banner being like this is sponsored by this company exactly. it's like oh the good people at this company helped make this video possible and so it's almost like they're incorporating that company into the story of this like individual who's just making a go on the internet right
0: yeah exactly and i think that's that's an interesting approach to it too where it's just aligning you know sometimes it could be about aligning on brand values it could be you know as granular or as in line with the, with the company's brand values or it could be you know much more like of an ideology where, okay, we're all about innovation and entrepreneurship. And so all all content creators that have anything in that space, we'd like to touch and sponsor. So it's just keeping the brand, ban- brand values top of mind, as opposed to necessarily showcasing that product or service, which is definitely a great route to go because you are building brand advocacy with audiences in the long term, because eventually they'll connect and be like, hey, okay, they're always promoting entrepreneurship and innovation, even if they are mis- like, for example, selling a car, or selling a beverage, or an accounting service, or you know whatever it may be. You just in the end correlate that brand to innovation and entrepreneurship, and then those types of audiences who relate to that those values are able to say, yeah, that feels like it's a brand or product service that's right for me because I share those values as well.
1: Mm-hmm. Angelique, what does the 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 deal look like? Is is it a is it always a monetary exchange or is it a, an audience exchange? How I think there's I just don't know at all because uh, I've never uh, hired an influencer or been an influencer myself. Like what what kind of benefits can the influencer expect? And then depending on like what the outcome the brand was trying to set for them.
0: Yeah. So you know I'll speak to what I believe really strongly in, but then what also exists in the market. I think. As myself, as a marketer, I really do believe in compensation, monetary compensation and exchange. It takes a lot of time for influencers to plan their content, to produce their content, to photograph, video, edit, and package up in the right spec dimensions that a brand needs. So I do believe in paying them monetarily and that exchange should, there should be a, mo- a, a money exchange in there. So that's the approach that I take with working with influencers because I understand the value of their time and I understand the value of their platforms. Speaking generally in the market though, and not necessarily a shared viewpoint that I have, there are certain brands that do believe in working with influencers in an exchange capacity. So it'll be like, Hey, I'd love to have you create this video tutorial and exchange. I'll post it on my platforms. And we have, you know, you know, let's say a dozen million followers and you who's a small Content creator or influencer, and only have thirty thousand followers. You know, you benefit from being on my platform. So, in exchange of you creating this, I will post this. That's definitely one approach that 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 we see in the market and that's still prevalent today. Another approach is just in exchange for product, you'll do this, and that happens. That's very frequent in the fashion and beauty industry. You know, especially in the fast fashion industry, where you would give like multiple influencers the same, you know, let's say t t-shirt, pair of jeans and handbag. And in exchange for those three items, they would post on their feeds and you could potentially repost on yours. Again, it's not a viewpoint that I share, but it is still prevalent, especially for smaller content creators that are, you know, either nano or micro content creators, just trying to, to grow their pages and make it. Unfortunately, it's yeah it's still prevalent and it's something that that brands tend to look at because they don't consider you know smaller influencers as influential so mm. yeah so so those are three types of ways that content creators and influencers are are paid right now
1: well i guess it's also tricky too if if the outcome you're trying to create is like inevitably you want that per the the consumer to see that be influenced as the name suggests into purchasing mm-hmm. it at some point but before it used to be kind of complicated it was like use my code at this website and then that was how that influencer was attributed to getting that sale like making that sale happen and it but it but that's another step like it's laggy there's there's tons of parts and areas where that that the genuine value that that creator created can get lost but yeah. now uh, we're starting to see a lot more, I've heard it described as social commerce, where brand, the platforms themselves, Facebook in particular, are now allowing for in-app purchasing and allowing the, that post to kind of be almost like a point of sale where now that you can just buy it straight from an influencer's native picture.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. It used to be that affiliate influencer marketing was the only way that if you were not, you know, posting on your channels, or if there was no monetary exchange, you would get a cut from the sale itself, whether it be 10%, 15%, or sometimes it was a fixed fee. But now that does cut affiliate marketing in the sense that, (laughs) you know, brands can make a cut from the, from the influencer content directly. On their feeds, and so they no longer need as much affiliate marketing as um, they did before. I think affiliate marketing really came to play when blogs um, were much bigger. So it used to be that blogs, you know, you would come to social media but then click through to a blog to read a longer form article or watch a longer form video or even audio snippet or podcast. But now, the way that influencer marketing has shifted is that. They no longer drive to an affiliate link on their site. They remain on social platforms themselves, and there now with the new launches that Facebook has has have announced, you know, for Instagram Shop and then for Facebook Shops, that will definitely cut down into affiliate marketing significantly. So, aside from the compensation for influencers, I think you know from a brand's perspective, it's a new and interesting way because audiences. And consumers can directly shop with a brand on social platforms, as opposed to having them go through like an influencers, let's say Facebook or Twitter, and then link to their platform and blog or podcast and then purchase site. Now you could just purchase a product or service directly, which is really great.
1: What are some, what are some, you mentioned that that'll change up how kind of affiliate marketing works, but on the actual e-commerce side of it, what kind of impact is that going to have, do you think, from the way that we're currently doing it?
0: Yeah, I think it's, again, back to the conversation we were having earlier where, you know, social and mobile is just such an integrated part of everyday, um, of, of people's everyday lives. You know, we wake up, we go to social, we go to our phones, we go to bed. It's the last thing that we're seeing. I think from a brand perspective, why direct shop is really interesting is because it'll be a place where consumers... Um, can not only discover products from brands and influencers, browse those curated collections at the same time, but then purchase them all in one step. So you're no longer bringing in that factor of wait, okay, you have to click through to three pages. you might lose them on on page two. you're now getting that instant instant gratification at their fingertips where oh, this person's wearing this, let me buy it right away, let me add to ch- add to cart and check out, which is really great from a brand's perspective because again, you're cutting out some of those middle steps that consumers like the different hoops that they would have to go through to get the product they see. It just becomes so much more easier for them,
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and all that more important to have like consistent online presence and like checkout and payments. Like the smallest amount of friction is going to start really ticking people off if if they're used to buying and. Two two taps and it's at their door. Three days later, like the the buying behaviors, I think are going to change a lot from that.
0: Oh yeah, and they've already changed so much. It used to be that you know if you if you went to let's say Snapchat or LinkedIn, you would see a post or article or video play, and then you would have to go to that brand's page and like tap LinkedIn bio or tap you know the website link from their from their LinkedIn and then go find the product and then add it to cart and then check out. Now it's completely different in the sense that you see it on the image right away. You can tap it right away. You can see the price. <laughs> and then you just tap again. You you put your thumb, let's say on your iPhone gets your fingerprint goes to Apple wallet and it's checked out in a matter of like three seconds as opposed mm-hmm. to that longer form 15 minute transaction that would have been. So so it is great for consumers, but it's also great for brands because impulse buying, <laughs> that's definitely something that social media has created more and more of. You see it, you like it, you want it now. And so having you know Instagram shop or Facebook shops available directly and right away has just facilitated that, that quick impulse decision of, oh, yeah, I want that instead of abandoning cart.
1: Another another trend that I've been noticing and you and you brought up on uh, our call before this was was live shopping and on on a lot of platforms that enables for live video where you can just start streaming right away. What what kind of trends are you seeing there?
0: Yeah, so so just first and foremost, I think live shopping is different. Then when we think of live social, so whether it's like a live link LinkedIn or Facebook live or Instagram live or YouTube live or whatnot live live shopping is different in the sense that a brand is able to broadcast and showcase their product live to viewers. But then viewers are also able to comment and interact with that product at the same time and then shop the product that they see on screen, which is really interesting. It doesn't have to only be within the mainstream social platforms that you're seeing now. There's there's a bunch of different tool sets and software um, add-ons that that brands can use to live stream directly from their website and then almost use that as a social two-way dialogue where their live streaming audiences can tap in, can ask, "Hey, can you turn this product around?" the person will do that on video and then be able to kind of check out because it appears on screen at the bottom as well. It's it's definitely been popular in Asia for quite some time. Like when you think of live WeChats or live streaming that some of the luxury brands have been have been doing almost like as a personalized one-on-one service, but now we're starting to see it pick up pick up here in North America, which is great because it just Poses much more opportunity for shoppers when you think, like, it's especially attractive right now when you think of the current landscape with COVID, with stores being closed. There are still consumers and people who are used to the shopping experience in person, who have questions, who want to almost feel and touch it with their hands. Although you can't do that with live, you can have someone else to do it and you can see the way. Again, back to clothing, how materials fold or how they change. Or if you're selling a car, hey, can you open that door? What happens if you press this button? Mm-hmm. Or if you're you know, a cream or product, like how, how it applies and, and whatnot. So it, it's opening up this opportunity that existing e-commerce wasn't giving to shoppers that gives them an experience um, that feels like in-person shopping, but at the same time, they're able to stay in the, the safety of their own home in the current climate.
1: It, it feels a lot like digitizing kind of the best store clerk experience you've ever had, you know, when you're like, go, go to buy clothes and they'll like ask you how it's going and see how it fits. And they'll go get you different sizes and they, they, they know all the buttons to push. It's almost <laughs> like, but they, but they can replicate that at a one to many scale. So now you only need one really good store clerk to be doing your lives. And the exactly. kind of beauty of it is too, is it's just like, it's, it's free to reproduce. So that live session will also have tons of user feedback where you've got all these questions coming through and that will just kind of act as a jumping off point for your content then because you'd have all these questions just a backlog of how people are thinking about your product and i kind of see that as a very interesting content engine that a lot of brands could use as well
0: oh yeah definitely i see it as as personalization to mass, you know, where it was personalized one-on-one, especially back to like those WeChat examples that, that are prevalent in Asia. Now it's personalization, but at mass, multiple people can ask questions at the same time. If someone else has asked it, you don't have to ask it again. And then the beauty of this is that the content exists. So not only does that live stream, you're able to keep it and have it archived and have people go back to it. Let's say you're launching it for a product launch and want to have it live and, and you know speak to, to multiple product features and whatnot. You're able to have that go live in time for launch, but then also have it um, archived on site or any other platform, even on social with something like a link in bio that people can reference back and back if, if there's continued interest. So... So it's interesting in two part for the live e-commerce capabilities, but then also for content creation, it's like building a library or repertoire of content that speaks to your product or service and that people can reference and that eventually you need less and less customer service for, because those questions and answers already exist.
1: All right, Angelique, I want to get very, I want to get tactical here for a sec because I've never done an influencer campaign. And so you've given me a really good idea of like what the baseline things I should be thinking about, but I'd like you to kind of help me help talk it through like what steps you would take if you had a thousand dollar budget and you want to (laughs) kind of put together some type of campaign uh, and the outcome being direct response. Like we want to sell units, we want people to buy it through the social native platform and you yeah is a thousand dollars enough to get started or talk me through where, where how you would kind of start putting together that campaign
0: you know i'm always up for a challenge a thousand dollars is not a lot okay <laughs> to start a marketing campaign especially for direct response but definitely can be done i think where you would start knowing that you said the objectives were direct response and direct purchase like how do you go about spending those that 1k i think the very first step is deriving and understanding the channels that that you want to be able to sell to. So even before I spend any of that money, understanding that my object- objectives are sale, I would probably go to platforms where that direct shop functionality exists. So whether it's Facebook Shops and I want to have it directly on my product page, or even with with Instagram Shops where I could have influencers sell on behalf of me and or have direct you know tap through to shop on my own site. So once I have my platform selected, I would go about determining if there's enough brand awareness on my own pages to be able to help showcase and and bring that product to life for sale on my pages. and if I need expanded reach, would work with influencers and or content creators in a capacity to build that content for me. So in the current landscape, you know a thousand dollars, I might work with content creators or influencers that, don't necessarily have a large reach that might still be very much so micro or nano influencers that have very small following, but that has a very active niche engagement. So I would go back, look at those engagement rates, like I was telling you about, understand if it's genuine engagement and what that looks like. And so even working with, with, with content creators that, let's say, only have 300 people in their following, but knowing that those 300 people are highly, highly engaged and highly interested in my product, I would go about and contracting a partnership with them. It could be directly for them to do, you know, for that dollar amount, probably something along the lines of of an Instagram story (laughs) that would only live for 24 hours, but at the same time, would have, like, direct click through the site or swipe up the site. And or something in feed like a post in feed where they could shop directly from the Instagram, from the Instagram page. So, so yeah, I would probably take the approach of, of scrappy of scrappiness to get us where we need to go. But so yeah. it would
1: be a, a, a story and a in feed post. Is is would that thousand dollars only go towards one influencer, or would I be able to get a couple for that amount?
0: No, it really depends. You could probably get a couple for that amount if they had, you know, like I said, only 100, 200 or 300 followers. Again, it's not the qual- the quantity of the following that matters, but the quality. Mm-hmm. So if you know that you have 300 really, really engaged folks that want that are in the market to buy the car, that have put their names down to buy the car, that are following the social channel because it's niche. like It could be a Facebook group. It's niche to, yeah, we've put our name. We're on the waiting list. As soon as my waiting list becomes available to product shop, I would go to them directly first <laughs> with that $1,000 and say, hey, You've already raised your hand. I know where you're at in the funnel in terms of being a consumer. You're you're at this point of, of conversion. So let me create a piece of content that announces the fact that you can now shop with with one of those micro or nano influencers, and then put that out. So, mm. so again, it's it's not we're not reaching mad, mass scale or mass awareness here. I think for $1,000, you'd be able to get a few content creators on board. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, because even $1,000 in house for content creation won't, won't get you far. So I would definitely right. have to outsource it. Yeah. Yeah, for yeah. sure.
1: And then what kind of call to action have you seen work? Is it, is it directly just saying, here's a deal, take it or leave it? Is it more nuanced than that, depending on what, what platform and kind of the product you're selling?
0: Yeah, definitely more nuanced than that. You know, I've actually never been in the the mass um, retail space. I've always dabbled much more in the luxury space. And so that deal, take it or leave it or discount, has not, something, has not been something that, you know, I love activating as a first point. I think being able to have call to actions that are tailored to where audiences are and their funnel are important. So if you know that they're still at the very... Top of the marketing funnel that it's all about awareness. I would definitely direct them to CTAs that are much more about like swipe up to learn more, or click here to understand why, or here's our value prop. Tell us what you think about it. So much more engaged about awareness. If depending on if you know that they're ready to convert and back to your example of it being direct response and direct buy, a CTA would be like click here to buy now or limited inventory left. Check check what this influencer is wearing to. To be able to wear it too so so yeah it would go back to what my my objectives were but i always prefer taking the route of understanding where they are in the funnel and if they need you know a bit more explanation i'd rather create content that explains that helps understand the value prop the differentiation versus driving them direct to site because even if they click through in like instagram shop It doesn't mean that they'll convert. They might add it to shop and just be interested. But at the end of the day, if I can't get them to, you know, finalize that sale, then that's been Mm -hmm. lost content.
1: One one way of reframing call to actions that I heard recently that I really like is to reframe it as call to benefit. So just in your copy, it's the same, it still goes to the same page and, and whatever, but it's really just in the copy is you're just telling that like make your button copy be the benefit so instead of saying Mm -hmm. download free pdf it would actually be start making money now and that would be like the button
0: yeah i love that (laughs) and
1: i just think that makes so much more sense because you're just you're kind of trying to get them to 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 they want that benefit so your button should just say here's the benefit but you have to click here to get it
0: yeah. Yeah. I like that a lot too. I'm always weary of like the clickbait stuff where it's like, click here to make more money. So I'd yeah, have to understand- That was probably the like... cheesiest
1: example I could have given.
0: <laughs> no, no, no. But like, I, I totally get what you're saying. I think it definitely is a matter of who you're speaking to. Because again, back to the audiences, if I'm like speaking to a mass retailer and that discount, I know that the audience is heavily interested in that discount. I'd be like, Click here to stay 50%. But yeah. if you're going to more, like more of a niche audience who, you know, they value brand values much more than the cost of an item and want to pay a bit more knowing that it's been, you know, ethically sourced or organic or designed by, you know, an expert artisan, your CTA would be different because it'd be, it'd be much more about <laughs> not showing the value, but showing mm-hmm. like why it's unique or why it's special. So, yeah. Yeah. I I like that approach though. It's, it's, it's good to see it that way.
1: (laughs) Mm -hmm. All right, Angelique, last question I got for you. What are some brands or some creators that you are finding a lot of inspiration from?
0: Yeah, I think, you know, right now, from from a brand perspective, just who's doing it really well with, with live shopping, I think I'd have to say, you know, retailers like Moda Operandi who have really jumped in on testing out live functionalities, not only on their social channels, but also direct on website. When I look at content creators, though, right now, you know, I think, with everything that's been going on with COVID and then the Black Lives Matter movement, it's, it's just been important to partner with brands and content creators who align with our values. So from a content creator standpoint, I think it's content creators that have leaned much more into using their platform for good, into using their platforms for education as opposed to using it for like just to, to sell product. So I think of co- content creators like... Christy Rutherford and Daniel Prescott um, who are really at the forefront of like the black M- matter, the black lives matter movement, but then also brands who are able to speak to, you know, the current climate and sharecase what their values are too. Like what we're doing at Stitch Fix, just, just reiterating that education right now is important on our channels. And yeah, at the end of the day, you know, we do sell product too, but being able to help explain to our audiences, what we stand for and why um, we're speaking out about certain things also helps our audiences understand us as a brand um, mm-hmm. and not just as you know a prov- provider of product or services. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I really commend the brands and the content creators that have been able to use their platforms for good right now. I think it's been a tough <laughs> it's been a tough year uh, with everything going on. Not just like coronavirus, but you know everything else on top of that. And so at the end of the day, yeah, we're humans, we want to connect. We want to have that two-way dialogue with brands or with influencers. but I think it's it's much more about just pushing a product right now. It's about helping kind of advance society. So so mm-hmm. I commend those brands and those people.
1: Yeah, me too. Great. Well, thank you so much for sharing that Angelique. And if you want to uh, learn more about her work and how she likes to, think about social media and influencer marketing, definitely go check out Angelique on LinkedIn. Give her a note just saying that you heard through this show and that's the best spot to kind of follow up and see how she's doing it in real world. Thank you so much and for sharing, Angelique. This is really helpful.
0: Yeah, thank you so much, Stuart. This has been a really great conversation.
1: <laughs> great, bye. If you enjoyed anything that you just heard, you're going to absolutely love what I'm about to tell you. If you go online to stuarthillhouse.com and hit the subscribe button, you'll be added to an email list where I share exclusive content related to this show. This is where I'm going to share my key takeaways from each episode including my highlights, top of mind takeaways, and next steps that you can do to put this advice to action. I also share some real life breakdowns of marketing campaigns that I'm seeing around and how I'm using it in my work. So head on over to stuarthillhouse.com and hit the subscribe button to get your first email. Looking forward to seeing you there.